After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is Mitch Dolier, President and CEO of Kaneohe Branch Company and President and CEO of the Harold K.L. Castle Foundation. Mitch is the man responsible for the revitalization of Victoria Ward and sale to general growth properties for $250 million. Today, Mitch shares with us how his company is able to award grants to nonprofit organizations at an average of $7 million per year. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Mitch Dolier. Welcome to our show, Mitch. Thanks, Carrie. Are you able to tell us more about the Kaneohe Ranch? You know, I'd be, hap- I'd be happy to do that. Kaneohe Ranch Company is a family business that started with the second generation of the Castle family in Hawaii. The Castle and Cook story is pretty well known in the community. Uh, that was missionary Samuel Northrop Castle, who had, I believe, 11 children. His son, James Bicknell Castle, was a wild entrepreneurial guy who did a great number of things on Windward Oahu and otherwise. To give you an idea about the entrepreneurial nature of him, the, in the late 1800s, he was trying to build a railway from Kahuku to Waimanalo that would drill through the mountains and connect up with HRT in Manoa. So Kahuku to Waimanalo to Manoa on the train, connecting up with then mass transit then, tells me we've been thinking about mass transit on Oahu for a long period of time. At any rate, James Bicknell Castle was a very entrepreneurial and well-read man. He and his wife had one son, Harold Kainalu Long Castle, and... James Bicknell and Harold Castle bought Kaneohe Ranch Company and other agricultural interests in the early 1900s. And Harold Castle then, after his father's death, continued on with the company, had the vision for a residential community that's now Kailua and part of Kaneohe. And at his death uh, was a philanthropist of considerable renown forming the Harold K.L. Castle Foundation, which is today... I believe, the largest private foundation based in Hawaii. How did you end up uh, working with Kaneohe Ranch? Yes, I thought I'd retired after I finished at Ward, and I was was looking for what I was going to do. I was approached by a member of the Castle family asking me would I consider coming to work for them, and at the same time as running the family business, I'd have an opportunity to lead and direct the foundation. That was an opportunity to give back to a community that was too big for me to pass up. And it was really the combination of all that that kept me going. So the Kaneohe Ranch and Castle Foundation is kind of a culmination of your experience from other ventures that you were successful at. You know, that's an, that's an interesting way to say it. All of it ties back to my law career. I represented Kaneohe Ranch Company. I represented the foundation back when I practiced law. 
when I was at Victoria Ward, a Castle family member died, and I was asked to become a director of the Harold Castle Foundation. So since the mid-'90s, I was involved in trying to do my best uh, to help grant-making at the Harold Castle Foundation. So I had that contact while I was at Ward. So it's kind of full circle everything came about. You so, represent him as an attorney and then eventually run the whole thing. Well, that was true at Conway Ranch. That was true at Victoria Ward, even though I represented the principal shareholder. I didn't really represent the company. I represented Mrs. Woodhouse. Uh, and it was also true at Hawaiian Airlines, where I was outside counsel to the company before I went to work there. Okay. Did you ever think that as an attorney you would leave the never, practice? Never, never looked at this part of my career. This was, a, this was a part of my life that was not planned. It was a part of my life that happened. How did that come about then? I mean, how do you go from a law career and you're practicing for how, how long? I practiced law for 19 and a half years with Goodsell, Anderson, Quinn, and Stifel. And, and then what made you make that switch? What made you make the change? Opportunity. Uh, if my wife, Bambi, were here, she'd say midlife crisis and, you know, better than a new wife or a new girlfriend or a fancy sports car is just change job. In part, Hawaiian Airlines was in difficult times at the time. I had a belief in something that was important to me about that. I thought that transportation between these islands and between these islands and places outside these islands needed to be managed from here rather than managed from Elk Grove Village, Illinois, or Dallas, Texas, or Atlanta. I thought we needed to control our own destiny because we were so remote. Uh, and if we didn't, we were going to be at a lot of whims that probably wouldn't be good for this community. So I had a belief in the idea behind the airline. A group from the mainland had acquired the airline, Peter Ubroth, Tom Talbot, and an investor group. Uh, they approached me after they'd had it for a while and wanted me to come in as chief operating officer. When I asked the question you asked, they said knowledge of this community, longtime history with the airline. I'd been involved in representing the airline, and I knew its financial side since about 1976 is when I started doing Hawaiian Airlines work, went to work for them in 1991. And it was an opportunity, and then I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer guy. What do I know about all this stuff? And they said, well, the things you don't know about will teach you. And so it was an opportunity to learn from a group of people that I respected, particularly Peter, his brother John, uh, George Arduous, uh, Dick Ferris. There was, a, there was a board around Hawaiian Airlines at the time, Kenny Brown, uh, Peter Baldwin, Marty Anderson. There was a board that I respected. Uh, I thought I could learn from them, and I hoped I could make a difference. It was dire financial times in what was probably not a business then, and you could argue whether the airline business for anyone is a business today. So Hawaiian Airlines was your first CEO and president position? Well, it wasn't CEO. It was COO. Oh, I was COO. president and chief operating officer. John Uberoth was uh, employee chairman and CEO. So in a sense, we were partners in that adventure. How did you deal with that transition then? Because even at Goodsell Anderson, you know, it's a decent-sized law firm, but you move into chief operating officer of Hawaiian Airlines, and now you're talking about thousands of employees. You're right. And it was a, lead it was, it was a leadership and communication job. And you're also dealing with the union, right? It was my first experience dealing in an organized environment. That's right. Did it feel foreign to you going into that situation? In some cases, yes, and in some cases, no. But, you know, the, the, the financial situation was such that I didn't really have time to think about that. I had time to think about 
what do we need to do next? And, and almost any job involves a whole lot of things that need to be done. And, and one of my beliefs is the order in which you do the things you're going to do will determine your success or failure. So, so it's a matter of looking at everything that's out there, trying to prioritize and go. Okay, so how do you actually do that? Can you give us an example? Uh, I'll give you an example from my perspective only. Uh, the biggest problem I thought Hawaiian Airlines had perception-wise, when it was a, obviously there's a revenue problem, but people in the community didn't believe in the product. It was unreliable, and we were seen as a as a carrier that wasn't Hawaiian. And I was shocked when I went to work for Hawaiian Airlines and I met the employees. Because with all due deference to a lot of good friends at Aloha, the Hawaiian Airlines employees were as Hawaiian as the Aloha Airlines employees, or maybe more Hawaiian. And I realized that like, even I hadn't understood who the employees were. And I was meeting the empl- I was trying to meet as many employees as I could because I was trying to get at the what are the roots of the operational problem and what do we need what do we need to do to change what we're doing. And so we did a number of things focusing on reliability, setting standards for reliability, ran a marketing program where we guaranteed on time performance you're going to get a coupon. I remember meetings when we started that people saying boss are going to go broke. Everybody's going to get a coupon. We can't do this. And I was pretty sure we could do that, but we had to commit to it. And we ran a series of marketing programs uh, that involved the employees in the marketing. And I remember one day there was, a, there, was a, there was an employee on the ramp, and we put his, he's a good-looking young man. We put, his, we put his ad in the paper, and all of a sudden, everywhere throughout all the offices of Hawaiian Airlines, his picture was up. And we connected the product with the people of Hawaiian Airlines. And the people of Hawaiian Airlines realized they were the product, and they became proud of it and started playing like a team. What was the most challenging thing about going into that kind of situation? The most what, challenging you- things was the defer- desperate financial condition we were in. Uh, we had a negative net worth of about $252 million, $20 million in the bank, and we're losing $50,000 a day in cash. You could count your way to the end. So... The pressure was more enormous than I realized it was going to be. It was one thing to intellectually sit on the outside and know that there was this big financial problem. It was another, it was another something else entirely to make it your problem. But I thought a team of hardworking, good-hearted people could trigger, try to figure out a way to work your way out of it. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. 
You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Mitch Dolier, President and CEO of the Kaneohe Ranch Company and President and CEO of the Harold K. L. Castle Foundation. Mitch is the man responsible for the revitalization of Victoria Ward and sell to general growth properties for $250 million. What are some of the important principles and lessons that you had learned from your Hawaiian Air mentors that carried you throughout your different positions that you're even currently carrying? Well, first, the first thing that I learned at Hawaiian Airlines was how good Hawaii's people are. And I didn't really know Hawaii's people, even though I'd lived here 19 and a half years. I kind of like I worked downtown, and I knew who was downtown, and I knew who I came back. I, I knew the financial world, but I didn't really know Hawaii's people. And I remember one day I was at baggage, the baggage services, and I had an older baggage service employee who basically threw bags all day come up to me and explain a stock trading method where he made a lot of money every year and it related to buying and selling Hawaiian Airlines stocks and public announcements. And I couldn't trade because I was an insider, but he had a pretty cool method of trading stock and he was doubling his income every year by his little method playing the game on the side. And I said to myself, you know, if I'd have sat back in my office and not met this guy, I probably wouldn't have the highest opinion in the world of people that are baggage handlers at Hawaiian Airlines. But that was just one of many, many examples where the goodness and hardworking nature and, and actually intelligence of Hawaii's people rang through to me out of my Hawaiian Airlines experience. And I can't say enough today, and I couldn't say enough then, about how good the employees of Hawaiian Airlines are. I'm, I'm still in love with all those guys. How did you end up going to Victoria Ward then? Okay, what happened at Hawaiian Airlines is we got, we got close to a goal we had set. We were trying to accomplish a Chapter 11 bankruptcy without filing. We didn't want to file. We wanted to try to negotiate our way through it with all the creditors. And essentially, we couldn't get it all the way done, and there were some guys that weren't from Hawaii that hung out and it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and I didn't want to be in a bankruptcy and I didn't leave law practice to run a bankrupt carrier. And it, and, it, and then running a bankrupt carrier had more of a, an aversion, more of a negative taint to it than it does today when almost every major carrier in, in the United States is bankrupt of, of all the legacy carriers. Uh, and so I resigned and I thought I was going to go back to practice law. And I got some great advice from my wife. And Bambi said, hey, don't just go back and practice law because everybody thinks you did a better job than you think you did. And I was hard on myself because we didn't get the reorg done that I wanted. Uh, and, and she said, you need a sabbatical. And your children haven't seen you for two years. And you fought when you were in your law firm for all your partners to have sabbaticals. So take a sabbatical and let your head clear. So we sat around and did a family meeting and decided on the places in the world we were going to go. And in between vacation number one and vacation number two, we came home to wash our clothes. And when we were home, I got a call from a member of the Victoria Ward board that said they wanted me to consider being CEO of Victoria Ward. And that's kind of physically and actually how that came about. So what did your family say at that point? Did they ask you, well, can we go on the second trip first? And what Bambi said at the time was, I didn't know what Victoria Award was at the time, but I knew you were going to take it from the sound in your voice. Uh, and 
it looked to me like a staggering opportunity. I mean, all you have to do is be on the water, off the south shore, look in. You can see Alamoana and Waikiki on one side. You can see downtown on the other side, and you can say, whoa, something's, there's a big opportunity there. That opportunity was obvious to me. I had been on the Victoria Ward board as well when I was at Hawaiian Airlines, so I knew about it. I knew they were in a CEO search. I didn't know how that was going, and I'd kind of disengaged for a while when I was taking my break. And board came to me and said, would I do it? Uh, we had already engaged as a board, Group 70, a planning firm, to start to work on an overall plan, so I knew some about that. Uh, and it was too good an opportunity to, to turn down. That ward situation was not exactly a booming situation at that time, right? What, weren't occupancies? Low? Well, first thing, first thing is, it was really, it was, it was not financially unstable. It was not, uh, it, it had not lived up to all it could be, but it was financially stable. And one of the really interesting things about that experience, and, you, and I think about the two of them, uh, is that when I was at Hawaiian Airlines, I'd have to call a long time in advance and hope a banker would see me. When I was at Victoria Ward, the bankers would make house calls. They'd come to see me. They'd come to see me. Can I come see you at your house? And there's, there's a banker, if he's listening out there, that made a house, really did make a house call on me one Saturday morning. Uh, and so if Ward, when I started was financially stable. In the beginning, and this is another one of those things, look at what you're going to do and do things in the right order. In the beginning, we spent a significant amount of time with the tenant community, with the community community, with our planners, and with consultants like engineers and architects and users like tenants or potential tenants getting a sense of what ward could and should be. And really what we realized was pretty simple. There wasn't any place that was a real place where all of us who live in Hawaii could walk around, see a show, and have a night out and go hang out. That sort of cool entertainment hangout place wasn't, wasn't here. And so there was an opportunity to execute that. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Mitch Dolier, President and CEO of Kaneohe Ranch and the Harold K.L. Castle Foundation. Mitch, can you continue telling us about building a Victoria Ward and your plans for getting it where, I guess, you foresaw it in those days? Carrie, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, let me say two things. Life's a team sport, okay? 
you were really kind when you did the introduction and you said Mitch did this and this and this. Mitch was captain of a team or coach of a team that worked really hard together and, and accomplished a lot. That was first true at, at Hawaiian Airlines, second true at Victoria Ward. Nobody could do Victoria Ward by themselves. Uh, and there were a huge number of peoples that made gigantic contributions, and I'd have to list them all. But in the beginning of a job, and the first thing I'll tell you about Ward was, this was the first time when I was CEO. When I was at Hawaiian Airlines, I was chief operating officer. I was in charge of operations, but I was only in charge of operations. There were pieces that I wasn't in charge of. And I'd said to myself, if I was going to take a management job again, I'd, I wanted a job where I could be CEO, where I could be in charge of the operations. Because when you're on a team, you're responsible for everything that happens, whether you're in charge to make those decisions or not. So I did want to make those decisions. Uh, and so I, in the beginning, I had to build a team. And picking the right team is gigantic to ensuring success. So first, develop a business plan. Second, engage your team. Now, there's, there's a final thing about Ward that was really important, and it was my first major league experience up close and personal working for a philanthropist. I, had, I was blessed in my life to have known Maude Woodhouse, who owned a majority of the shares of Victoria Ward Limited, and because I had been her lawyer before, I knew something that's public now that wasn't public then, and that was the money was going to go into the community. Because Mrs. Woodhouse and her husband had made a decision that that's what was going to happen to any money we made. So I always knew deep in my heart that what I was doing was going to endow a lot of very important uh, Hawaii institutions. Quite frankly, that made me want to fight to make sure we made money a lot more than if it was just like shareholders get the money, all this kind of – so I knew – I knew when I was around a philanthropist, and I've realized when I've seen, just for example, Bishop Museum or a Kindergarten Children's Aid Association stabilized by gifts from Mrs. Wodehouse's generosity, how important philanthropy is to our community. So all those pieces were in play at the beginning at Word. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? 
Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Mitch Dolier, President and CEO of the Kaneohe Ranch Company and the Harold K.L. Castle Foundation. Mitch shares with us how his company is able to award grants to nonprofit organizations at an average of $7 million per year. So Mitch, what's your philosophy on whether or not business people should give back to the community? You know, that's always been modeled for me about how Hawaii business leaders have behaved uh, in my experiences. And so my first mentor was a lawyer named Marshall Goodsell. I worked for Marshall when I came to Hawaii. I was trained by Marshall. A lot of what I know initially is from Marshall. Marshall was giving back all the time privately uh, as a philanthropist. Business leaders that I worked for always were involved in community activities. Uh, Herb Cornell, Bill All, Jack Magoon, Ed Carter, Malcolm McNaughton. Many, many Hawaii business leaders touched my life and brought me into charitable causes that they were involved in. They really led me by example more than anything else when I think back about that. And it was a natural thing to do. I've talked a little bit about giving back. And I've talked about the impact of philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really worry that we really need to do for the future of Hawaii is nurture new philanthropy. So that the next round of successful, successful business people give of their time and their treasure to build assets for the future of this magnificent place. That's what our show is about. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are so focused on their careers, you know, new up-and-comers, that we think how there isn't any time to give back to the community. What would you say to people like that? I'd say a couple of things, and that's, by the way, that's, that's a million-dollar question. That's a really cool question, Carrie, and thank you for it. I'd say two things. First thing in the beginning any journeys are a series of baby steps. So give a little bit of money to Aloha United Way. Give some money to your church or something that you care about spiritually and give a little money to a community organization. And then at some point, once you start to emerge as a leader, people will ask you to help their causes. And if they ask you to help as a volunteer, look into your heart and and take on the causes that you're really deeply passionate about. Because if you're deeply passionate about it, the causes will take you over. Do you have any examples of a maybe a story that sticks in your head of where this money or this philanthropy has really made a huge impact? I've got a trillion stories. Uh, maybe a couple. I, I, one, I was involved starting from about 1976 in Boys and Girls Club of Honolulu. But back then, it was even Boys Club of Honolulu. And, you know, I'll look Carrie in the eye and say, well, we weren't quite visionary enough to know that we were supposed to have girls back then. But Donis Thompson and a few others taught us our lesson. I was involved early on because Charles Spaulding, a local businessman, another mentor, was deeply involved in Boys Club of Honolulu. And he asked me when I was like, felt like I was 15 years old, but I was really older than that. 
would I go on the board of Boys Club of Honolulu? And I thought really about it, and I asked Mr. Goodsell about it. And he said, well, really, it's a matter of, Mitch, are you, are you really passionate in your heart about it? Because if you just do it for your client, or if you do it because you think it's good business for the firm, he said, that's, no, that's not a good reason. He said, but if you're really passionate about reaching out to disadvantaged kids, then you should do it. And I thought back when I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and there was a YMCA in my neighborhood. And being able to play basketball at that YMCA gave me activities that kept me out of a lot of activities that probably would not have been good for my future. And I thought about that, and I said, you know what, we need more stuff like that in Hawaii. And so I was involved with raising a little bit of money to take Boys and Girls Boys Club of Honolulu to Waianae. And we had just hired a new executive director at that time, a young man named David Nakata. I'm probably one of the people in Honolulu who can tell you once upon a time, David Nakata and I were both young men. <laughs> uh, and David and our board struggled over a decision about whether we should actually build a facility in Waianae. And common sort of on the street downtown Honolulu thought was, we can't build anything out there because the community won't take care of it. It's just not going to work. And David spent a lot of time going door to door in the community, talking to the businesses and raising Waianae money while some of us raised small bits of money to plant a Boys and Girls Club in Waianae. Now, I have been witness to a number of stories of kids whose lives have been changed by the work of David and his staff in Waianae and in other places. I will tell you the whole experience of living through that campaign back in 1977 and 1978 changed my view of how you need to be entrepreneurial and that with a small action, even in a small part of a campaign, you can make a big difference in the lives of a lot of people. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.